I want you to look at the 126th Psalm. I'm going to be, endeavor to be as brief as possible. Uh, the last night of a revival meeting for me, I don't know how it is other people, it's the most difficult night for me to uh, decide or let the Lord decide or feel led to preach whatever terminology uh, you want to hear tonight. But I believe this is what the Lord would have me talk to you about. It's not a long message. Uh, there is a story, uh, two parts to it, uh, that I'm going to just try to narrate or communicate to you tonight uh, from this wonderful chapter. It's a story, I think, of when the children of Israel were delivered from Babylon. It's one of those psalms and a song of degree that they sang as they returned back to the promised land, back to Israel, back to Jerusalem. I love verse number three. I'm not going to preach on it, but I could. The Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. And he turned again, you know, their captivity and like streams in the south. But I want to talk to you tonight for just a few minutes on this little fifth verse. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. In one of my old Bibles, I was looking at it some time ago. I don't know if someone said this in a sermon and I wrote it in the margin or I don't know if when I was reading, I wrote it in the margin, but probably 30 years ago, I wrote in my Bible this little statement, no reaping with no weeping. Amen. No reaping with no weeping. Let's bow our head and pray. Father, we thank you for these wonderful days that you've allowed us to be here. We're thankful for these precious people that have been a blessing to me. I hope in some small measure that I have been a blessing to them. I pray you'd help and use me tonight. As always, we are so dependent upon the Holy Spirit of God to do his work in the hearts and lives of people. And we ask it in Jesus' name. One of the most heart-rending stories is the story of David and Sophia Flood. David and Sophia left their home country to go to Africa as missionaries in 1922. They went to a place in the Belgian Congo that had never been touched by the gospel. Their only protection was the promises of God. There in that dark land, long before modern conveniences, they went to the little town, the little village really, of Nadalra. There had never been any Christian influence there. They went with another couple called the Ericsons. They commenced their work with no help and no hope but God. The chief of the village of Nadalra would not let them into the, into the city limits or the village limits in the fear that their presence would offend his gods. And so they built a half a mile away on the slope of a hill little mud huts and called them home. They prayed and prayed for a spiritual breakthrough. They longed somehow for the message of God to somehow penetrate.
penetrate these natives' lives. But there was no way. The only contact that they were ever to make was a little boy who would sell his wares. He would come and try to trade and make a little money off of the people. And Sophia, the mother, she determined to tell the lad of God's love. Years went by. They had no converts. They had no success. Unless you wanted to count the little salesman who in his simple way one day had prayed and Sophia felt that he had been converted. Things went from bad to worse. Malaria struck them time after time and finally the couple that worked with them, the Ericsons, they said, we've had enough and they left. Back to the mission compound they went hundreds of miles away. The floods were now left alone and she expecting a child. There in a mud hut in the Belgian Congo, surrounded by a hostile, unfriendly tribe and a half a mile away from them, in the interior, her and her suffering. Somehow it was communicated to the chief. The chief allowed a midwife to come, and a little girl was born. The birth was too much for Sophia. And 17 days after the baby was born, Sophia died. When David's wife died, something snapped in him. He dug a crude grave. He buried the wife of his youth on the ground. And he made a little marker. And he put her name, Sophia Flood. He gathered up his daughter he went down to the river and caught a craft, sailed back to the compound, and he left little Aggie, just a few weeks old, with the Ericsons. Not knowing that eight months later, the Ericsons would both die of malaria. David, when he left his child in the hands of the Ericsons, he said this. He said, I'm going home. My ministry is a failure. I have lost my wife. And God has ruined my life. He returned to his homeland, a hardened cynic. He married again. And in the midst of his rebellion and hatred for God, he made a rule in his home. He said the name of God can never be mentioned in this place. He rejected the call of God and he followed a path of ruin. Now I know your life tonight may not be as dramatic. You may not have had the same difficulties that this little family faced. But you may have to say, I've failed. I quit. Circumstances have brought me to the precipice of despair. I've come now to the point of tears. I've watched and I see nothing happen in my life. I want you to consider three things and then another trio in a moment or two. Sometimes we experience the tears of unfulfilled expectations. As we labor for our Lord, 
we often feel like a failure. Preachers preach sermons and nothing happens. We talk of his grace being sufficient, and it is. We talk about not quitting, and we shouldn't. We talk about trusting God, and we should. But sometimes our expectations go unfulfilled. I was preaching in Haiti some time ago in a crusade, a large crusade, and uh, I thought I was going with another man. I met him at the airport in Atlanta. We flew uh, down to Haiti. When we got there, he had a team of another four or five preachers. I didn't know any of them. There was a man there. I won't call his name. He's a good man. He still writes for me in my Baptist Bread Daily Devotional. But he talked about his church. He said, we used to run 400. He said, but uh, preachers took some of my members. They'd take members that were out of fellowship. They'd take members that were under discipline. They wouldn't say anything, wouldn't ask anything. He said, now my church is down to but 50 people. He made this statement. He said, I never accomplished anything I set out to do. But maybe we did what God set out to do with us. Unfulfilled expectations. And then there are the tears of a wounded spirit. The brethren do this to us sometimes. Sometimes it's a wayward child. Sometimes it's a difficult mate. Sometimes it's a good brother or sister in the Lord and they hurt our feelings. You know, salvation does not rob you of your feelings. You get falsely accused. Some people just quit. They give up. They feel like life is over, it seems, and they walk away. Maybe not as drastic as David Flood, but it gets difficult sometimes to take a back seat to others' boastings. Sometimes the battle scars continue like open wounds and the baffling circumstances breed despair and we get to the place where we cry, this is too much and I've had enough. And then there are the tears of a broken heart. Again, maybe over a wayward child, maybe over some difficulty. There are things that happen in families that break our hearts. You know, there are some things worse than going to a funeral. If you go to a funeral of a loved one, if you go to a funeral of a mate, or even, God forbid, the funeral of a child, People send sympathy cards. They send flowers. They're concerned about you. I know that grief is palpable, but there are other things that happen in families. Nobody sends us cards. Nobody sends us flowers. Most of the time, they just gossip about us. Amen. There's nothing pleasant in the words of David when he said they that so in tears. He's saying it's not an easy way. There's no fun-filled journey here. With all of this negative in our biblical battery, there must be a positive. I like what it says in the latter part of that verse, shall reap in joy. Verse 6 says that they'll doubtless come again with rejoicing. Psalms 30 and 5 says, Weeping may endure for the night, 
but joy cometh in the morning. We see the, slip, the, the uh, wounded slip away. We hope folk could return to the Father's house and the pulpits of their youth and the shouts of victory. We all go through some things that bring doubt. I've had things happen in my family. I don't need to go into detail tonight. Did things happen to my children? I have written more than once in my date books, which become my diaries. I write in them more than once these words. This is the worst day of my life. There's been more than one of those worst days of my life. And knowing what little I do know about the human family, we probably have some more worst days of our life in the future. You know, you think about that thing. I'm 68 years old. When I was a boy, people did keep diaries. If you happen to look at somebody else's diary, they would have a heart attack. It would be a federal case against you. Now people have Facebook. They put on there what they do every 15 seconds. What a crazy day we live in. I thank God I'm like these brothers around here talking about getting out of this mess. You ever just not want to go to church and mean it? You heard about that fellow. He lived with his mother. He was a grown man. He lived with his mother. And he got up one Sunday morning and he said, Mom, I'm not going to church. She said, well, we are too going to church. He said, I'm not going. She said, why aren't you going? He said, oh, they don't like me over there. People talk about me. They say things. I am not going to church. She said, son, you have to go to church. He said, give me one good reason. She said, son, you're the pastor. You know, God will bless you, bless you when you least expect it. How to know. Let me give you another little three-point outline. How to know the joy in rejoicing. Number one, very simple. Let the past be the past. Let the past be the past. You can't fix the mistakes and blunders of your past. And quit reminding God of the things he's already forgiven and forgotten. Eliminate the what ifs. Let it go. That chapter is written, but it's not the end of your story. God can make good things if you leave it all in his hands. There's a, there was a cathedral in Europe many, many years ago. In that great edifice, there was a masterpiece of art in a stained glass window. Folk would come around from around Europe to just get a glimpse at it, to say they had seen this beautiful window. A windstorm came, blew that window into a thousand pieces, destroyed it there on the church floor. There was nothing to be done, so the sexton, he, uh, custodian, he just swept it up, put the fragments in several boxes and carried them down to the cellar. Several months passed and a visitor came from a distant country. He had no idea that the window had been destroyed. He got there and his journey had been in vain. 
for the window was no more. He said, what became of the pieces? They said, it's all down in the basement in boxes. He said, I'd like to see them. He went down there and there was that beautiful window just in small pieces, smaller than marbles. Some of them just small as diamonds, just a little bit of nothing there. He picked some up and sifted them through his hand and dropped them back in one of the boxes. He said, could I have these? Could I have the shattered remains for which you see no use of? They said, well, we'd really be glad to get rid of it, but I need to ask, you know, some church officials. They did, and soon enough, he had those boxes. He took them back to where he lived. Many weeks and months passed. Church officials were invited to come to a distant city to an artist's studio there was an artist there who was skilled in glass craft. And they walked into that studio and there was a large canvas, black canvas covering something. They had no idea what it was. The canvas was pulled away and there glimmering for all to see was a new window. Its tints and contrast, its colors and design were more beautiful than what they had been at the beginning. The fragments of the old broken window had been fashioned into a glorious new window of greater ability, greater beauty that was beyond what it had been in the past. I say to you tonight, if you can bring the pieces the fragments of your broken life and broken relationships to Jesus. Let him fix it. Put it back together with the super glue of the blood of Jesus Christ. Then I say, number two, live today to its fullness. Now, some of you tonight are in the prime of life. I think about these young evangelists and young preachers around here. There are some here tonight in the early dawn of your days. Others of us, the shadows are now lengthening in our lives. God, help us to get out from the, uh, the corner of self-despondency. Have a smile on our face, some joy in our hearts, a lilt in our step, and use our God-given talents and gifts for him. You may not be able to do what you used to do, but you can do what you can do. You may not be able to do what someone else can do, but you can do what you can do. We used to have a lady that went to my father's church. She's in heaven now. Her name was Lucy Seward. She, I don't know if this is a good term. It's a Yankee term, I guess. She was an old maid. She never got married. If you saw Lucy, you might understand why she... She was not a very attractive old gal on the outside. But on the inside, she shone like a thousand sunrises. She was a great lady. She put in about 35, 40 years of service for the state of Michigan, working for the state. And when she retired, she wanted to do something for Jesus. They have a vast printing ministry up there. And so she took it upon herself 
to mail. People, letters would come from around the world and they still do. Could you send me a Bible uh, to this country? Send me a Bible to that country. Send me a Bible here. And she took it upon herself. She would package them up. She would pay for the Bibles. She would ship them at her own expense. She found something to do for Christ. Hey, God has something for you to do. Be a door greeter. Be a welcomer. Be a smiling face to somebody. Be somebody that helps two individuals in this church tonight that needed some help to the tune of $800 a piece, I think was said. And then number three, and lastly, give your tomorrows to God. You already given up? Re-up. Reaping always follows sowing. They that sow in tears. If you sow tears, you don't reap tears. You reap joy. Joy follows sighing. Rejoicing welcomes the soul after sorrows. You remember the floods? David and Sophia. Sophia buried there in the interior of heathen Africa. He embittered back in his homeland. But what happened to little Aggie? You know, the Ericsons took care of her for eight months and then they both died. What happened to little Aggie? Aggie was adopted by strangers who were American missionaries. They came home to America. Aggie got saved. She went off to Bible college and married a preacher. Many years passed, they were ministering in the state of Washington. She was at a university, at a college, for whatever reason, and she was in the library looking at an old magazine. She was thumbing through the pages of that magazine, and the article was written in a foreign language. She couldn't understand it. As she was thumbing through that magazine, she was stopped cold. There was a black and white picture on the page of a grave on a nameless hill in darkest Africa. And on the marker was written two words, Sophia Flood. She said, that's my mother's grave. In a book in an unknown language at a university. She went to the language department, found somebody that knew that language, and they read that article to her. It told of a little white girl, little baby girl, who mother had died. A little black boy that had been led to Jesus. That boy who had sold goods to them. That boy grew up. Enough of the gospel seed had been planted in his heart that he asked the chief it would be all right if he would tell other boys and girls about the Savior. Soon children were getting saved. Soon parents were being saved. Finally, the old chief himself was one to Jesus Christ. The article said in that little tiny town of Nadalra, there were now 600 born-again baptized believers. Aggie read that article. She knew it was true. It was her family. It was her father. It was her mother. She began some research. Her father was now living in Sweden. She found where her father lived. Her and her husband traveled to Sweden. 
They contacted the old man, made an appointment to go see him. They found him bitter. His life ruined by alcohol. He'd been married, had four other children. He had one, one rule in that sordid hovel of a home that the name of God could never be mentioned. Sophia and her husband, excuse me, Aggie and her husband entered that squalid, rough apartment littered with bottles. She said, Papa. The broken man cried. He said, Aggie, Aggie, I never meant to give you away. She said, oh, Papa, (laughs) with her arms around him, God has taken good care of me. When those words fell from her lips, she felt her father stiffen and the tears stopped and he turned his face to the wall. He said, mumbling, no, God forgot all about us. She said, Papa, Mama didn't die in vain. Your tears watered the seed. Hundreds are now saved in that region. And a lifetime later, a broken-hearted, defeated, estranged child of God wept his way back to Jesus Christ. Time passed. Maggie and her husband made arrangements and they went to the village in Africa. They were met by a cheering throng of people, saved natives. As they approached the village, more than a mile away on both sides of the road was lined with people. They were finally led to the grave. There was a right white cross with the name Sophia Flood emblazoned or inscribed thereon. A stately white-haired native man stood and told Aggie, there are now 110,000 baptized believers in this region. He told how eloquently the gospel had spread from one little boy that Sophia Flood had witnessed to and that little boy had never forgotten. Aggie stood there and watched the tears as they glistened on his ebony cheeks. And he said to Aggie, I am the little boy that your mother told about Jesus. I say to you tonight, friends, amid the mountains of turmoils that sometimes thunder into our souls, never quit. Stay faithful. You will reap after you weep. I tell you, I've had things happened in my life. I will not go into detail in regard to our children. I'll tell you this. My middle boy was a preacher. I've only told, I've told this less than 10 times since it happened nearly eight years ago. He was a good preacher. Really, he was a great preacher. Of my three boys, he's far and away the best preacher. But his wife left him. And we got the horrible news on a weekend, Memorial Day weekend, by the way. I had to get in my car on Monday and drive to a little town in West Virginia and preach at a youth camp for three days. I never told a soul there what had happened. And I can remember night after night after night, nearly drowning in my own tears. 
my head in a pillow. My boy. My boy. In one weekend, he lost his job. He was assistant pastor. He lost his friends. He lost his church. He lost his family. He lost his ministry in one weekend. They that sow in tears will reap in joy. You say, I don't like sowing tears. You're not going to have much joy then. I don't like the heartaches and the difficulties. They're the best things that happen to us. We forget most of the good days. We remember the bad days because that's when God sidles up to us, pulls us to his breast, whispers in our ears. When you sow in tears, you'll reap in joy, my child. Joy comes in the morning. Father in heaven, we thank you for these few minutes tonight. I don't know the heavy hearts of folk in this room. I don't know the circumstances that weigh heavily in the homes of this house. I have no idea. I don't know. I had a lady talk to me before church tonight. Just buried her husband Five months ago or so. I don't know the heartaches. We all have them. We all face them. We all go through it. God, I pray you'd help us to stay true, stay faithful, stay right, stay, stay hooked up. Don't back out. Don't throw in the towel. Don't quit God. Don't quit the church. Don't close our Bibles. Don't quit our praying. God, help us. God help us to stay true in spite of the tragedies, in spite of the heartaches, because we might win a little fellow of the Lord. God will use him over the next 20 or 30 years to reap a harvest of thousands. We never know. God help us to be faithful. Folk are in the altar. Maybe you need to come and get in the altar tonight. I've had more than one person tell me in the last six weeks, I'm glad he stayed right. Because he stayed right and that encouraged me to get right. If you're not right tonight, you ought to get right. If you are right, you ought to determine in your heart, I'm going to stay right. If you feel a little coldness starting to crop up in your life you need to damper that you need to put it out with a white hot heat of God's blessing Remember, I've heard the testimonies tonight of men and ladies they figured it out on their own they didn't need a message they figured it out on their own God will help us through the darkest days the most difficult hours that we have to face I pray God would help us tonight how many folk in this room say, Preacher, I've got some dark days going. I've got some difficulties coming. Boy, nothing like, nothing like David and Sophia Flood had. But I'm facing some things. Would you pray with me about it? Would you raise your hand high that I could see it? Several people, several people. God bless your heart. I pray God would help you with it. I pray God would give you encouragement. I pray those tears 
would water the seeds that bring about blessing and joy and victory in your life. Let's stand to our feet. Let's sing a verse or two of this song. If you need to come, you ought to come.